0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such
1: an honor to present this next award.
0: And here are the nominees. And... I am Katie Rich, and I'm here with David Canfield, who interviewed our subject for this week's interview episode. Hi, David. Hello. Uh, David, I'm jealous that you got to do this interview, uh, <laughs> because basically because you pitched it first, um, but I think all of us would have really uh, jumped ahead of each other in line to talk to Melanie Linsky for what, to me, feel like obvious reasons, because she is delightful. Uh, and But you guys talked about much more than her charming personality.
2: We did. Um, somehow, I, this was the third time I've spoken to her in not that Longo time period because she's <laughs> she's been in a lot of things and she's had a lot to talk about. Um, but yeah, it's been really exciting to see her have the year she's had. And we got to talk about Yellow Jackets, um, which she's incredible in and will be a big Emmy contender for and also the upcoming Candy, which premieres May 9th on Hulu.
0: Yeah, in the piece that you wrote that accompanies this interview, which people can read on VF.com, you got uh, secondary quotes from uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in addition <laughs> to her Candy co-star, which really uh, is really strong evidence of what a great six months she's had. because she was in Don't Look Up before all of this. Um, and as you wrote about, and I'm sure you talk about, like, it has just been a long, steady career to get to this, what now feels like she's suddenly everywhere.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's co-stars with Leonardo DiCaprio and Don't Look Up, of course. Uh, they play husband and wife. And I thought about it because her first role was in Heavenly Creatures opposite Kate Winslet. Of course. And, you know, Melanie Linsky's been working very steadily since then, but obviously two different career paths from there. But she's had a lot of work that, as she talks about in the interview, hasn't been that widely seen that she's really proud of. And she's reached this point kind of suddenly where a lot of people are paying attention to her. And that means more interviews. (laughs) That means... Uh, more anecdotes to share and, yeah. Um, yeah, more of a spotlight, which she's not too used to.
0: Yeah, and people are surely familiar with Yellow Jackets at this point. It premiered on Showtime early, or I guess late last year. Um, but Candy is coming up, and obviously, you're not going to want to spoil it too much. It's based on a real story, it's a little bit of a murder mystery in some ways. Um, but you and I have both watched some of it, and I really want people to watch it, even if they feel burned out on murder. So, is there anything people should know about Candy before they hear this conversation?
2: One of the things that excites me the most about it is the way it's being released. It's being released one episode a night, over five nights, culminating in Friday the 13th, and the the show will help explain why it's culminating (laughs) on a Friday the 13th. Um, But it feels like an event series in a way we haven't had in a long time. It's an older model of of releasing, uh, particularly miniseries, and it, it feels like the right format for a show like this. And the other thing I'd mention is that while it is... A true crime show, uh, one of many premiering this spring. It comes from a writer, Robin Veith, who has her roots in Mad Men and uh, very, very schooled in old school prestige, episodic drama. And I think brings a lot of that flair to the show, um, which is still under embargo, so we can't say too much.
0: But, um, <laughs> <laughs> let it's it got a let lot it of good whet pe- your appetite. Yeah.
2: Yes, it's got a lot of good people involved, including Melanie Linsky.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's hear your conversation with the delightful Melanie Linsky.
2: Well, I'm uh, very excited to chat with you today because we have two projects to talk about. Let's start by talking about Candy. You said this one's very meaningful to you. You said that when uh, Vanity Fair did the first look for the show. So to start, can you talk a little bit about, about why it's meaningful to you?
1: When I read the script for the first time, I felt very connected to Betty. I I think I was a very shy, awkward child who had a really hard time making friends. I never knew what the right thing to say was. And I really saw that in her. And we talked to this uh, lovely man who, who wrote a book about the case. And he said that everybody he talked to said that, that, She just was awkward. She just had a difficult time. And, you know, she's from Kansas. She moves to Texas with all these big outgoing personalities around her. And I just related. I'm from a small town in New Zealand, and I moved to Los Angeles as a young woman. And I was like, what am I doing? How am I supposed to be? (laughs) And so that aspect of her just really moved me, and and I understood it.
2: What kind of research Do you like doing for parts like this? Obviously, Betty was a real person. This was a real horrific thing that happened to her. You've played characters based on real people before. I imagine this one was a unique kind of challenge in that regard.
1: Yeah, it was. This is the first time I've played a real person who was not with us anymore. Yeah, and it was was complicated. I mean, I wanted to be respectful of her memory, but I also didn't want to completely sugar-coated I didn't want to make her just sort of like the sweet victim because that's not what people said about her she was a very complicated person and the script showed that so I wanted to just really be true to who she actually was like the whole woman that she was but you know I didn't have many opportunities I I did talk to the journalist who had talked to so many people who knew her but obviously I didn't get a chance to talk to her family members or anything, and you feel a particular kind of responsibility in situations like this.
2: It makes me think a little bit about your career as well, that kind of advocacy for the character. Uh, for a long time, and still to an extent today, Hollywood lacked interest in women like Betty, and that's something you mm. have spoken about and you've had to push against for a long time. Did Did you feel that kind of connection with that relationship to this character? and? advocating for someone who got to be a lead. I've seen a few episodes now, and she is really beautifully fleshed out. And it's refreshing to see someone like Betty get that kind of depth and nuance and prickliness at times as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's such a lovely way to put it. Yeah, I, I really did. And part of her actual story was that she didn't fit into the kind of popular girl mold that I've never fit into as an actress. And when Candy was on trial for her killing, a lot of what they were talking about was, oh, Betty was a bigger woman than her. And ha- could Candy possibly have overtaken her? Would she have been strong enough? Cause she was right. so, you know, they did this awful thing in court that isn't in the show, but they made a kind of larger size woman stand up in court. And they said, is your body kind of like Betty Gores? And, you know, it's like, horrible and demeaning for both women but there there was all this stuff that they did around her body and then also just she wasn't very popular and that became part of candy's defense she just wasn't this like beautiful confident person and yes i did very much relate to that and and i just i i thought it was so wonderful how the show was equally interested in both women
2: yeah uh, i had something that surprised me a great deal was I'd seen the first one, and that's kind of, without spoiling too much, the lead up to hmm. The Killing, which is seen very much through Candy's perspective. How much did you know going into the show about the way that that was going to turn on its head a little bit and and give Betty that equal kind of almost agency in the story? Obviously, I'm sure you, you knew, given that you signed on. But what was that yeah. aspect of discovery like for you?
1: I read all the scripts before I signed on. Um, Honestly, I think Robin is so brilliant and I'd worked with Michael Appendale before who Mm -hmm. directed episode one and episode five and I just love working with him. He's so great. So I was already kind of sold, But of course you (laughs) need to read the script and see if it's something that makes sense to you and something that feels like something that I can embody. Because sometimes you know something's good, but I just don't have it in me for whatever reason. So it was really nice to read the scripts and see her coming into her own a little bit more. Um, The story sort of shifting from Candy's story to Betty's story, and then the final episode is very much Candy's story again. It's literally Candy telling the story.
2: I noticed you were doing interviews for about how big Yellow Jackets was getting while you were filming (laughs) Candy. So you have on the one hand going from one very intense murdery show to another back to back, and you and I spoke a little bit about that uh, previously. But I'm I'm also wondering about the other element knowing this piece you'd done was getting a level of attention that was really exciting and that you maybe weren't used to while you were filming candy, did that feel kind of encouraging? Was there maybe an intimidating element? I'm just curious what that experience was like for you.
1: It was all of the above. <laughs> it was <laughs> encouraging. <laughs> it was intimidating. It was very much something I'm not used to. I I'm I'm used to doing things and having a few people say, Oh, I loved that thing that you did. And then slowly over the years, <laughs> two or three more people a year will be like, Oh, I managed to catch that. You know, it was right. on Amazon. I mean people I haven't heard from in years getting in touch with me and then I started to do some interviews and then what I was saying in the interviews, people were paying attention to. It was a really odd. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> odd place to be for me. I was like, oh gosh, I've got to start watching myself because I have no filter. But it was also really nice and really gratifying. And there was something very exciting for me to know that I was working on something that was so different, a character that was so different from Shauna at the same time as Yellow Jackets was coming out. Yeah. I was like, this feels good. This feels like a good sort of next thing to be doing.
2: I imagine it was probably nice that you were busy during that time too, that it wasn't just this happening in kind of vacuum um, where you were left to sort of do all these interviews <laughs> and get all this attention and not maybe not know what to do with it exactly.
1: Yeah, it was kind of nice, but then like on a practical level, I've never been asked to do a talk show before. No one's ever been interested. I like auditioned once for Craig Ferguson, like his his talent booker, and they, I got, I failed. <laughs> so, no. that's just, yeah, they were like, she asked too many questions about about me. The interviewer said. She needs to learn how to tell an anecdote. And I was like, oh, God, failed. But that was the closest I'd ever come to being on a talk show. And then suddenly it's like, do you want to go do this thing? Do you want to go do that thing? And I wasn't allowed. Like, Candy was just like, the production was just like, nope, sorry. So I wasn't allowed to go and do any of these things. You know, I'm 44. That's
2: that's a good point. It's exciting.
1: Yeah. yeah, I couldn't go to the premiere of Don't Look Up. There was, oh, there was a lot. Yeah, so it was... It was nice to be busy. I'm always, always grateful to be working above anything else. But at the same time, I was like, ah,
2: <laughs> you can spin a hell of an anecdote, Melanie Linsky. I don't know what Craig Ferguson's talent booker was talking.
1: <laughs> thank you. That's very kind of you. I, I don't know. I was trying to have a conversation, I guess, which is not the way to do it.
2: I personally appreciate that. And not everyone, okay. does this, so I'll <laughs> leave it
1: as that. <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You're someone who engages with critics, I'd say more than most at, at your level in this profession. I'm biased, but I find that incredibly refreshing. (laughs) Uh, And I was curious about that part of your relationship to making movies and TV. I I saw you're someone who subscribed to movie magazines and and really loves and and grew up loving the art form. Can you talk a little bit about that side of it for you?
1: It's just something that I've always loved. I, I loved reading movie magazines from the time I was kind of a young teenager. And then when Heavenly Creatures was coming out, I think I was 17 and Miramax said, Do you want us to fax you the reviews of Heavenly Creatures? I've never felt fancier in my life getting, (laughs) you know, faxes sent to my dad's office of these reviews from some were people I'd never heard of and some were people I already respected from, from the magazines that I read. But there's something about like reading people describe something you worked on so hard in a way that is universal and resonant and poetic and moving. It it felt huge to me to have people take that kind of time to write about my work. I just was like, I don't understand why people don't read reviews. I don't understand. (laughs) It's just like, it felt amazing. And I've always had kind of a thick skin, so Mm -hmm. I don't mind literal criticism i you know there were some things that weren't super nice about my physical appearance i was like well that's the yeah. character i was playing and then there have been times over the years where i know i've given a performance that hasn't been that good for whatever reason and when i've seen somebody kind of call that out i've had a ton of respect for that mm. critic it's really i just think it's kind of like a magic trick i don't know <laughs> i just think it's incredible especially when a film festival is happening, people can come out and tweet something that encapsulates their response to a movie. I just, or write a review that night that's published the next day. It's crazy, crazy to me. So I feel like I'm like such a fangirl of so many <laughs> critics and thank you for being nice about it. Cause sometimes I'm like, am I annoying? Am I like kind of want to be like engaging with these people who I have so much respect for, but but thanks for being nice about
2: it. Oh, it, feel, it feels the opposite to me. It it feels like I mean I'm not gonna go off on a tangent here, but you know we do sometimes work in a bit of a vacuum and we do engage with work pretty deeply or try to, and it's always mm-hmm. nice when not only it's heard, but there can be a bit of a back and forth. Have you? So you've you've ever felt? You mentioned when you got Heavenly Creatures <laughs> reviews mm-hmm. at 18, you're like, why do people read reviews? Have you ever had a feeling since then of? Maybe I do need to take a step back from this kind of engagement.
1: I think after Hello, I Must Be Going, which is a movie I did that came out in 2012, Mm -hmm. there were a couple of reviews that I found hurtful and I didn't really agree with. They were sort of... It's difficult because I was having an affair in the movie with a younger man, and I think a male reviewer is going to put himself in the young man's position. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of reviews that just said, like, "Oh, really? Would he really be attracted to her? And I think Chris Abbott, who was in the movie, and I had amazing chemistry, and I I love the movie. I'm very proud of the movie. And so that, that was the only time I woke up in the morning and I started to read the reviews, and I was like, this was a mistake. I have to go do a whole day of press now, <laughs> and I'm already bummed out. But, that, but, you know, people have to bring their own individual perspectives to it. And that's how a couple of people felt. Overall, the response to that movie was so positive, but it's always the negative things that kind of stick with you, you know?
2: Always. You have received uh, a lot of great reviews over the course of your career for a lot of things that, as you mentioned earlier, have not necessarily been widely seen. Um, yeah. Has that fueled you in a way? What has that part of it meant to you? Um, I think independent filmmaking, especially now, can be such a invisible art. And mm-hmm. that really is where, I think, support can lie and, and continuation of it can can happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's another reason I've been so grateful to critics, because people can often like champion a really small movie and take it a lot further than it would have gone otherwise. And, and write about it in a way that's really eloquent and beautiful. And certainly for some of my movies, people would do Q&As, like moderate Q&As and stuff like that and go out of their way to to help the movie be a bit more visible. And I really appreciate that. But it is always a little bit heartbreaking when you work so hard and you love something and it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. There have been a few of those that I wish more people had seen.
2: Is there one that you would like to shout out now?
1: (laughs) I mean, Hello, I Must Be Going, which I just talked about as well. I love that movie. I feel really proud. Oh, thank you. You saw it. That's so nice.
2: I saw it when it came Um,
1: out. Oh. (laughs) Um, And I really love um, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, Mm -hmm. which is on Netflix. So people can. It's right there. People can find it on Netflix. It's right there. It's right there. Um, That's another one that means a lot to me.
2: I heard you left Two and a Half Men as a regular when you started to worry or just gather the level of exposure it could bring you. And that Mm -hmm. was your first regular role,
1: right? Yes. It was the first time I had ever made any money. (laughs) It wasn't like a ton of money. It was my first ever job on a television show. but, But yeah.
2: So it's a big decision to make.
1: It was a huge decision. And the people who were my agents at the time thought I was crazy they thought I was absolutely (laughs) crazy because it was going into season three which is when you're able to renegotiate and ask for more money and they just thought I was nuts
2: and it was huge
1: it was huge it was huge but that was part of what was scaring me so much Mm -hmm. you know you you I signed on to the pilot as a guest star and then you don't really know where it's going and there were things I really liked about the show and there were things that were not for me a hundred percent, you know? And I also was the wacky neighbor. I just, I did two seasons and I was like, this could be it. Like it's very hard to get out of a decade of playing the wacky neighbor and not, you know, it's the sitcom schedule is so easy. You can't complain about the hours. (laughs) It's so easy, but, but at the same time you're doing, you know, 22 episodes and it's a lot of the year taken up. So I wasn't really able to do anything else. And I feel very grateful that Chuck Lorre listened to my concerns and let one of the regulars go and become recurring on a hit show. He didn't want that to happen. He didn't want anything to change, but uh, he respected my request. So that was very nice.
2: You mentioned liking some things, not other things. How did you find acting and playing the beats of a of a network sitcom. It's it's a specific, I think, pretty exacting method of production, especially compared to indie yes. film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were things that I absolutely loved about it, like the audience response. There were a couple of times when the audience response was so intense that Charlie and I both teared up at the exact same minute. Huh. And there were some things that it's like surfing kind of like you're, you feel Mm. the joke coming and you, you play it and the audience, it, it's really some things about it. I found very magical, but then they don't want you to do anything different because the idea is that someone can turn the TV on and watch any episode of two and a half men over its entire run. And it doesn't really matter where in the show it was. So you have to kind of, be pretty consistent it doesn't give you much chance to i mean i felt very lucky because i was playing a character who was an absolute crazy person and a genius and a billionaire so i I got to do a lot of fun <laughs> stuff within yes. the parameters but there are still parameters
2: yeah so you get to yellow jackets another popular mm-hmm. show of yours <laughs> 20 or so years yes. later
1: different yeah
2: <laughs> very different um mm-hmm. but now that you've been in the you've been in the industry for as long as you had by this point, what did it feel like seeing the show take off? It didn't happen immediately. It wasn't with I wouldn't say it was with the pilot, uh, <laughs> and it's extremely hard to predict this kind of thing. As you know better than me, I'm curious. Just set the scene for me. How did you sense it building? What was that process like
1: for you? I don't know. I think just people started to reach out to me. Like I said before, like people I hadn't heard from for a long time were just like, we're watching the show. We love the show. And a lot of people writing to me on Twitter. And then suddenly there were stories about the show theories. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, Oh, you should go look at Reddit. Like there's a yellow jackets, Reddit board. And I did for a time. Is there ever? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was very intense. And then I saw how that was growing and I just was like, oh, my goodness, this is popular. It was It's very weird for me. I, I've never had an experience like this.
2: It's the kind of project that shatters a lot of thinking that went into Hollywood historically, mm-hmm. both in terms of how good it is and how big it got. Did that feel satisfying at all, just seeing a show like this about teen girls' angst and living with a certain level of trauma and living through that just completely resonate on such a dramatic level and also just be really fucking good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was so satisfying because I just feel, I feel like there's this narrative in pe- in Hollywood that people don't want to see female-driven projects. People don't want to see, like, African-American-driven projects. And it's just proved to be wrong over and over again. <laughs> with the things that people choose to watch and the movies that people go see box office results like so again I just sort of felt like yeah people do want to see women people do want to see middle-aged women there's an audience and so I just hope more and more projects are made that are for this audience
2: one of my favorite things about the way you play Shauna is in the layers peeled back episode by episode like oh, yep, she can kill a guy and this is how it would look. I guess, spoiler alert. (laughs) It's all all online. (laughs) Or, oh, this is where we can see her be very particularly vulnerable and and see why. Um, It just feels so rich to watch. And it seems like it was the same way playing it to an extent.
1: Oh, my gosh. So much. There's so much there. And I, I feel really grateful to the writers that they trusted me with so many exciting things. And, and the layers, like, I also feel like we're halfway through the layers. I feel like Shauna is somebody who's living so much in her trauma response that she hasn't even processed half of what's happening. I never got to have like a huge emotional moment. Like I feel like she's still at the beginning of unraveling and trying to ravel it back up again. She's trying to keep things from falling apart. She's not being very successful but it's exciting to me how how far there is still left to go.
0: Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling 5 times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.
2: You were pitched a big character arc when you signed on to play Shauna. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I've, I've spoken with actors who love knowing everything coming up, if given the choice, and others who'd prefer to stay really in the dark. I know you've said knowing what a character is thinking helps you a lot. How do you balance, I suppose, staying in the moment with having that kind of thing in the back of your head of where a certain scene or or beat is going that we don't know about yet?
1: I think you can't help but be in the moment. If you're playing mm. it honestly and you're, you're in a scene with somebody who's also present, you're you're going to be in the moment. And I think that the writers initially were nervous about giving too much detail. Like sometimes I would ask questions and it was like they were pitching me. They'd say <laughs> something big is happening and we can't wait for you to see it. And I would be like, no, that's not a real answer. I, I do need to know because sometimes you can... If you have an awareness of something that's coming in two episodes, you can modulate the performance up until then. And I I don't know, it's only helpful for me. I'm not like ever giving anything away or or playing a secret, I, I don't think. I don't think anybody would if they're a present actor.
2: I assume you'd done some television where that wasn't the case, where maybe you didn't know where everything was going. So you know what that contrast is like.
1: Yeah. And I didn't enjoy it. And there were times you get a script and it was quite soon before you had to shoot it. And you have questions narratively. Like, I'm probably a nightmare for writers, honestly, because I'm like, this thing doesn't add up. This plot point doesn't make sense when you consider this thing. Like, one of the writers of Yellow Jackets one day was like, boy, you like to keep us on our toes. And I was like, well... (laughs) Yeah, because people are going to be paying attention. And if I'm asking the question, people watching are going to be asking the question. And as it turns out, I was right. Because There's no
2: show where you could be more right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There are things where people have questions, and I had the questions too. And I think next season they're going to be like, okay, (laughs) just tell us. If you think something isn't, you know, A plus B is not like adding up here.
2: Um,
1: But yeah, I've, I've been in that position before and just, it's been really hard for me to be playing a scene when I know some other thing has been established two episodes ago and now this doesn't make sense, but here I am having to perform it. It's, it frustrates me.
2: I can understand that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Another element I wanted to ask you about is you're anchoring with uh, a couple other actresses, of course, a really large excellent ensemble here particularly recently you've been a part in smaller roles of big ensembles led by Kate Blanchett and Mrs. America or DiCaprio mm-hmm. and Jennifer Lawrence on Don't Look Up is there some gathered win- wisdom there beyond the obvious what have you found to making a group on a, on a project really click
1: for me something that I always appreciated in Honestly, it started on Ever After when I was part of a wonderful ensemble Mm. and Angelica Houston, who was the scariest cast member for me because I had (laughs) so much respect for her. Sure. And she's quite imposing before you know her and you see that she's a gentle, lovely, kind, sweet angel. She made sure to reach out, include everybody, make sure everybody was okay, say, if you have an issue, come to me. I'm here for you always. And I believed her. She meant it. So that's something that I try to do if I'm in that position and there are younger actors or newer actors, because I just think it's nice, even if you don't end up needing anyone, I think it's nice to say, if you do need someone, it'll be me. I'm I'm here for whatever you need. So that was kind of the most important thing. They're all very self sufficient. The younger cast of yellow jackets, (laughs) they're like, we're good, thanks. (laughs) But I think they appreciated like knowing that someone was looking out. Um and then also something I just have really noticed over the years, because I've been doing it for so long, is people don't really stick around for as long as like Leo has and Kate Blanchett has, unless they're nice. Mm -hmm. I just they're just good people they're easy to work with they're nice to the crew i don't think i would be a person who would become mean if i was successful but I, I just i don't think you can really overstate how important it is to be gracious to the people you're working with
2: well i'll close by asking you about a big moment which was your critics choice when mm-hmm. i got emotional watching oh uh, what That's did that
1: so what
2: did that moment feel like it It felt emotional
1: <laughs> oh my God, it was so crazy. It was, it was so emotional. I mean, also we've talked so much about my love for critics. It could not <laughs> yes. be more meaningful for me that this group of people who I have such respect for voted, also like the other women in the category were just so amazing i I really did not expect it. I, I was very, very surprised. and So I just felt emotional at, at what it meant to me personally and what it meant for our show and then halfway through my speech I looked over and the whole cast of Yellow Jackets like all the young people are just standing there like clutching their chests yeah. and crying and I just was a wreck after that point. I just loved them so much and to feel their love in that moment it was crazy and you know it's like a once in a lifetime Thing. how lucky am i to have had that moment in my life it was really so special
2: well here's to a few more at least
1: <laughs> <laughs> well if that's the only one it was pretty magical so i'm very grateful for that
0: That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular roundtable conversation about all things Emmys and much more. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at LittleGoldMen. This week's episode was edited and produced, as always, by Brett Bukes.